podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Yes, I'm aware we've been away. It's been a very busy time for snooker, really busy, in fact, and uh, there's been a lot going on. But uh, thankfully, the podcast has returned, and we're going to be looking ahead this week to the World Championship, starting by looking back at the recent tournaments since the turn of the year. And, of course, at this time of the year, the attention of the snooker world turns towards the Crucible. At the end, I ask uh, Phil Yates and Michael McMullen not to predict who's going to be in the world final, but to say who they would like to see, their ideal final. And you can, of course, tweet me, at Dave Hendon, if you have ideal uh, finalists in mind for the showpiece final in May. But uh, now, on with the podcast. OK, before we get on to talking about the World Championship, Phil, I wanted to start with talking about Mike Watterson, who passed away recently. I mean, obviously, he's, he's tied to the World Championship. And if his only contribution to snooker was taken the World Championship of the Crucible, that would be huge. But of course, it was, he did a lot more as well. He was a remarkable character. He really was, Mike. He was a snooker commentator. People don't know about that. He worked in the early days of Sky. He was on the board, the chairman of a, one football club. He was on the board of Chesterfield, Derby County. He was the influence and the inspiration behind the first ever BDO World Darts Championship won by Leighton Reese, put on the world first World Indoor Bowls Championship. Obviously, his contribution to... The Crucible was fantastic. He was the uh, the founder of the Crucible for the Green Bay's game. But I think the one thing he'd like to be remembered for, and people don't know this, he was an absolutely fantastic player in his time who made one four sevens, and all of the other players really rated him, particularly in practice. He was a very, very talented player. So to have all of that going on in your life, what an imprint he left. There was an extraordinary story about a tournament in your area, West Bromwich, wasn't there, where a promoter had let down the local ITV broadcaster. They basically called Mike at, I think it was literally 48 hours' notice. Mm. He put on a tournament in West Bromwich with eight of the best players in the world, got a big crowd in. Imagine, imagine pulling all that together in two days. Yeah, and this was at a time when snooker obviously was in its infancy on television. It's not like now, where, you know, the, the infrastructure's in place and the popularity's guaranteed. You know, he took a lot of risks with the sport and... Look, he, he he would he, he we published his autobiography in Snooker Scene, and he certainly felt he was uh, not treated well by the WPBC at the time. But the game has a lot to thank him for. When Mike Watterson died, and we had the confirmation he he died uh, during the latter stages of the recent uh, Coral Players Championship at Preston Guildhall, Dave actually tweeted to say there should be a minute silence for Mike Watterson, and I personally think. There's no better place for that than the Crucible. If he doesn't deserve a minute silence there, who <laughs> does? Yeah. If it hadn't been for him and his wife, who actually found the, found the place, Carol, she went to a play there and realised it would be perfect for snooker. If it hadn't been for those two, we would not have been at the Crucible this year. And the World so, Championship might never have developed the sort of legacy yeah. and status that it has in the minds of the sporting public. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think it should happen at the Crucible. Yeah. If he doesn't get a minute silence, on day one, nobody should get one. Yeah, or, so, or certainly something to commemorate his, his contribution, definitely. Well, we're going to just go back to the start of 2019. Obviously, the Masters was the first big event. And Judd Trump um, not only won it, but won it really impressively. I mean, to go to beat Ronnie O'Sullivan the way he did in the final. And I think the key thing is clearly to not be intimidated by him. Because we see a lot of, even top players, they play Ronnie in big matches. And you can see it is different. But for Trump, 
it was all about him and the way he played. Yeah, huge step forward for him. I mean, I think when he had that great year in 2011 when he won the UK, his first big three title, as it were, and got to the world final, I think we none of us would have thought it would take until 2019 to win another one of those. But he just looks a totally different proposition this season. Obviously, going into that final in Alexandra Palace made a huge difference that he'd beaten O'Sullivan in a fantastic final that you commentated yeah. on, Dave, in Belfast only maybe six or seven weeks earlier. I think that really was the sort of bedrock catalyst uh, for what he achieved at the Masters. And what a difference 12 months made because when he exited the Masters the previous year, it was because he played some questionable shots and stupid shots in many people's opinion in losing to Corin Wilson in the semi-finals 6-5 from 5-2 up one plant in particular he's a lot more mature these days you know Judd Trump's talent level is absolutely in the stratosphere but we've known over the years so many players who are talented who aren't able to convert that into trophies but I think now he's able to and with his age bracket 29 not too many people younger than him coming up to challenge him I think he could be absolutely wildly successful for the next decade Yeah and the other big contrast to last season I mentioned Northern Ireland there remember Northern Ireland the previous season when he basically Mm. threw in the towel against Stuart Carrington because he was so frustrated with the game he's a million miles away from that now he's made very few early exits even in the tournaments he hasn't won he's generally been getting through at least the first few rounds will he ever have a better chance of winning the World Championship could you ever imagine him going in better equipped uh, than he is this year. I don't think well, what, so. what he's developed is a sort of single-mindedness now. Um, he's very much focused on snooker. It was interesting at the Masters. He said something. He said it was something like, "I know the crowd like entertainers, but they also like winners." And and he sort of marshaled the two. On, on the one hand, he plays the flair game, which is great. Everyone enjoys seeing that. But he's kind of become a bit more sensible as well. And the sort of naughty snooker seems to be a, a thing of the past. And also, you know, we keep going on about. It became a running joke this at Eurosport. Does Judd Trump have a brother? Because we kept on mentioning all the time that his brother was with him. But actually, it has made a massive difference. It has. He's travelling with someone he, he, he knows really well, obviously, his family. He, he can say things to Judd that maybe other people can't. It's a bit of company, but also Jack understands snooker because he's played it himself. It could not actually be a better move for him. Yeah, and, and another person, another Jack, in fact, who I think has had a really good influence on him is mm. Lazowski because he has taken away distractions from his life. He's much more focused on mm. his game now. We know how close they are, and I think that's had an impact on Judd as well. He's seen Jack change his attitude a bit and he's done the same thing and it, both of them are benefiting greatly and look at the centuries he's making as we we're making this podcast he's on 599 mm-hmm. centuries now he's definitely going to get to a thousand there's no doubt about that I mean something bad would have to happen he's going to make another 401 well he's only 29 years of age mm-hmm. at the current rate he's probably going to make it in six seven years time the next big event after the Masters was, of course, the German Masters in Berlin, and this is this was uh, Judd's great pal, Karl Wilson. Um, this was kind of, I guess, he's a very different player, but equally uh, admirable in the way he approaches things. I don't think there's many players at the top of the game who put more effort in, and he got his reward. Yeah, and huge self-belief as well, and I think that was a key thing in that final, because Dave Gilbert really put it up to a minute. And when it came towards the end, I think he just had that bit more belief, and that was a, a big key for him. Gilbert... Again, you know, it's not the first time he hasn't quite been able to finish the job in a big final, not even the first time it's happened this season. But, you know, if we're talking about most improved players of the season, he would have to be right up there in that conversation. But yeah, as you say, it was all about Wilson in the end. He's won a couple of tournaments now this season. He did struggle for a while to build on that first title he won in Shanghai, but now he's getting closer to being a regular winner, which is what you need to be. 
Well, I always think with Carl Wilson, you know, you get a, a wet cloth or a damp cloth and you're trying to sort of wring the last drop of, <laughs> of liquid out of it. I think he does that with his own ability. I don't think uh, you would ever say he's in the top 10 in terms of natural ability. Mm. Certainly not, maybe not even in the top 20. But he is phenomenal in his application, his practice. And also, we were talking about Jack Trump's right hand man being mm. Jack Trump. Mm. His right hand man is just fantastic. His coach, uh, you know, Barry Stark. Couldn't wish for anyone better. Level-headed, sensible, not a yes man. I think Colin Wilson's got a great work ethic. I think he's got a tremendous temperament, and he's got a good backup staff. He's also got his brother with him as well. He's, mm. he's started bringing his brother. So this is the thing now. Have a brother, it seems. Mm. Okay. Well, let's all start doing that. <laughs> yeah. but, but also, I think one thing I would say is and a couple of players here we were in, in Barnsley for the Champions League were saying yesterday, he, he, he does seem to tinker a lot with his technique, and that is not always a great idea. If you found the right sort of way to play do you really need to I think we can all name players who've started to mess around with their game and it hasn't always worked and you can end up becoming really methodical as well which of course takes a lot out of you I'm not sure it's ever really worked for anyone in terms mm. of messing with their technique things like sight right and maybe yeah. dealing with psychologists and that they may definitely make a difference but it's hard to think of anyone who's really you know, <coughs> radically you know, messed around with their technique after they've already become a top player and enjoyed any great success off the back of it and we've always had serial Q-tinkerers John Higgins being mm. the, the yes. classic example, you know, add a bit on, take a bit off, that kind of stuff. And uh, if it works for them, fair enough. But I think when you come to technique, it's like, you know, do you completely disassemble your technique and start all over again? If you do, it's got to be a lengthy process. You can't do it from tournament to tournament, which he seems to do. Mm-hmm. Well, Trump, uh, we saw win the World Grand Prix. Neil Robertson played really well at the Welsh Open. And then, of course, uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan at the Players' Championship in sort of true showman style brought the house down with his thousandth career century in the, in the last frame. I mean, what a moment that was. I've never seen anything like that. Everyone on their feet cheering. It's just unbelievable. And the great thing about it was, in this modern world where so many people try to create drama, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. completely spontaneous. Mm. The crowd were into it, Ronnie was into it, it was just one of those moments. It's like when you get a great test cricket match. There's nothing better, mm. it's far better than these you know, manufactured 2020 situations. Yeah. And that's exactly the same situation there, it just happened, and wasn't it wonderful? And also, you talk about 2020, that takes how long? A couple of hours to play? Thousand centuries has taken, mm. you know, 25, 26 years. I have to say, I've been really lucky. Some of the things I've been in the arena for. I was in the arena when Henry won his seventh title at the Crucible. I was in the arena when O'Sullivan won his seventh Masters. It was fantastic to be there, in the Guildhall Arena on Sunday night. Never experienced an atmosphere like it. A standing ovation mm. in the middle of a frame that continues to the end of it. Every ball being cheered, and not in a rowdy sort of way, but in a show of genuine appreciation. And it was fantastic as well that O'Sullivan, who sometimes shrugs these things off a bit really joined in, it was giving thumbs up and waves to the crowd and everything, and that really uh, enhanced it for me. I'm very lucky, I've never ever got nervous in a commentary box, whether it be a very high profile match or something that's you know not going to be watched by many people. I was very nervous when I was a player, and so you, know, you never know how you're going to react. In that final, I was doing the first four frames on the evening, and he made a 90 break if you remember, mm. and he left himself a very tricky red down the side cushion which he missed. As he's on that 90 break, I'm getting really nervous in a commentary box for the first time because I'm thinking, I've got to say something if he makes his thousandth century, which will be fitting to the occasion. And I was trying to work out what to do, and it was it was one of those occasions where it, everybody was engrossed mm. in Because, you know, it's unique. Somebody else will get to a thousand, you say, probably Judd, maybe Robertson, but he'll only, there'll only ever be one person who was the first to do it. 
And, uh, you know, it's just such a special moment, so you want to do justice to it. And I think Clive did in the end, because mm. he was the one who was commentating when uh, when he did do it. And fantastic that he did it in the final frame as well, because, you know, it would have been a bit of an anticlimax then to just have to start the next frame. The whole week was typical, Ronnie, because he, he has ended in that incredible way um, that we talked about. But he sort of started, he came in the first day, and he carried on doing it, talking in this sort of really bad, actually, Australian accent. And you kind of think, OK, so he's having a bit of fun on the first day, but he kept doing it, and... No one's really worked out why. Maybe he doesn't know why. Well, I saw him do it in private conversations in the breakfast room at the hotel. Not really sure why. I mean, the one thing I will say, in this modern world, it certainly got attention. The sponsors were delighted because he did his interview for them after he'd beaten Barry Hawkins. It went viral. It It went viral. Mm. went viral. (laughs) You don't even know what that means, Phil. No, 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 no. The only time I go viral is when I get a cold, you know. But, I mean... um, it was it was very good for them. They got massive amounts of it, and yeah. obviously it was on BBC Breakfast News the following morning. So it was good for snooker in terms of exposure. But I think if it carries on a bit too, too long, well, it'll be it'll get old, as they say in America. Well, it, but it'll, it, but it also tells you something about the modern media that that is a story. You know, mm. they, they'd rather report that than the tournament. Although, of course, in the end, they they did report what happened in in the final. So we're about a month away, I suppose, from from the Crucible, unbelievably. Um, We've got a couple of big tournaments uh, coming up, obviously Gibraltar first, but then the Tour Championship, which is a huge event, and the China Open, which, which is bigger than ever. Um, and there is a sense in the air that players, you know, as we talk to them, everyone now is starting to think, OK, it's the running to the Crucible is coming. And they have to think about it more than ever now, because with so many points on offer, mm. particularly for the China Open, you know, quite a few players have got work to do you know, to get their top 16 places and, and get in for it. So it almost becomes a sort of a six-week thing. So many points on offer now for the Tour Championship and the China Open. You're trying to get yourself in position. Uh, you know, give yourself, obviously, an exemption into the championship, but also get the best possible seeding because you know, if you can get in the top eight going into it, you don't have to face any of the top players till the quarterfinals. So it really does become a proper run-in now that everything builds towards the, the championship. For years... It was the British Open or the Scottish Open, which was the event that preceded the World Championship. It was on Sky, it was fully televised, <coughs> great, but it was always seemed to the players like something of a chore because they couldn't wait to get mm. to Sheffield. Because the China Open now is such a massive tournament in its own right, I think that's a really good yeah. thing. Yeah. Was it £225,000 mm. to the winner? You know, that is a massive chunk of cash. Also, the Tour Championship before it, before it, I think that's great because, you know, we've been talking about this modern world, I'm a self-confessed you know, and sort of quite happy to be old curmudgeon. And we've seen about, you know, how everything is distilled into 10 minutes or 20 overs or 100 balls, whatever. What they're doing with the Tour Championship is reversing that trend and going back to good old-fashioned yeah. snooker, best it's of unusual, sevens. It's unusual, isn't it? It is unusual. Yeah, but because yeah. The era, we associate the era with shortening, best of sevens and so on, but, and the shootout, of course, which we've not mentioned. But, but yeah, it is going back to the old days, actually. Yeah. And, and the thing is... People can cope. People can cope with the best of 17. Like People can actually sit and watch it. Snooker yeah. fans will watch it. And well, the, enjoy most, it. the most watched match every season is yeah. the, uh, the World Final. Yeah. It's on for four sessions. You know, The start of it is, yeah. is so far from the end. But uh, it's funny how in China, where they used to have short matches when they started going there in the 80s, now it's all about they're all competing with each other you know, to who can have the longest matches in their tournament, whereas in this part of the world it's been going the other way. So it's great to see that reversed, and it's so reminiscent, I think, of the old world match play. Mm. That was an ITV event, it was best of 17s from the start, and again, it was form players because it was the eight players who had earned the most points the previous season, now it's the eight players who have earned the most points this season. Sorry, it was 12 players in the old match play, wasn't it? So, it's, I mean, I always thought that was a great event, it was very disappointed when it went away after 1992, and great to see it almost back in another form. In my old curmudgeon role, I will say this though, I think 
a 25 frame final spread over three sessions and two days is absolutely brilliant. I think a 21 frame final mm. in one day mm. they could be caught out with that. If you get you know an 11 10 involving two moderately quick players, which is a diplomatic way of saying two moderately slow players, <laughs> and you get a few. Uh, slow frames that could be an horrendously late finish. I don't know whether you agree, Dave. Well, it's never been it's never been a distance as it first to eleven. It, it's too it's too long for two sessions and too short for three. It's been done because Beijing obviously they put more money in, so they won prestige to go up. So they think, okay, we'll have a longer final. But of course, what's happened is now Shanghai they've got the invitation event. They've done the same. So where does it end? It becomes almost like a bidding war, you know. Mm. Anyway, but we'll see what happens in, in Beijing, of course. And then everyone goes on World Championship Alert. We have the qualifiers, the Crucible, uh, April the 20th. And eventually we're left with two players. And what we're going to do to end the podcast is discuss not who we think is going to be in the final, because we can't do that because we don't know who's wearing mm. the draw. So we can't. We only know Mark Williams is top of the draw. We don't know where anyone else is going to be placed. So instead we're going to say who we would like to see in the final and what reasons we would like to see them there. And I'll start, because it was my idea. So the final I would like to see is two players we've already discussed uh, in depth. Judd Trump against Karen Wilson, for a number of reasons. One is, they clearly don't get on. And actually, someone said to me yesterday, one of the players, they said, oh yeah, the media have built this up. The media have built it up, but, but they've been given the raw materials from the players, because all that they've done actually is reported what they've said. Now obviously it's been stoked up since, because that's what the media does. But it started with a real kind of beef between them. It's not a major thing. It's not like they're going to be sort of brawling in the street. But they just don't get on, and, that, and that's fine. So that gives a little edge to it. But what, I think what I also always enjoyed is, is sort of different styles of play coming up against each other. You know, the days when Davis used to play Jimmy or, or Alex Higgins. Just to kind of how each player copes with the other, I think, would be fascinating. They're both in their 20s, which I think is good. Obviously, we've had in recent times quite a few older winners. And it would be a new winner as well, and I think a new world champion is always good. And also, they, they're both great for the game in different ways. I think Karen Wilson, a bit like Mark Selby, illustrates that if you work hard for something and you really dedicate yourself, you can get the rewards. And Trump is just a fantastic talent, and I think he would inspire so many young players. If he won the world championship in great style, I think he would inspire... Uh, a lot of great players, and actually, if they did play in the final and it was close, um, they may actually be a new respect between them. And any sort of yeah, enmity, embrace at the end, enmity yeah. that went on might go yeah. away. So, um, I think that would be interesting. Like, as I say, clash of personalities is always fascinating. You know, when Hendry played Jimmy, they played a similar game, those two, very attacking, but obviously very different people. And it's one of those matches where I think you'd be forced to support one or the other. You wouldn't be neutral. Mm. So we shall see. You know, they may not be able to play in the final, but I'd, I'd be really interested to see that. I'll go for Ken Doherty against Fergal O'Brien. <laughs> not no, parochial no, no. yeah, at all. No, obviously that would be fantastic, but let's be realistic. Might be a three-day final. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, let's be realistic. Yeah. In the same half the draw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, again, you know, you, you've said it's 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 my choice, so my choice would be I'd love to see Mark Allen because just for the reason it would be absolutely massive back home and. If he was to win the World Championship, I'd like it to be against Ronnie O'Sullivan in the final because I think that would make it even more massive. Um, I know what it was like when Ken won the championship and I think it was enhanced by the fact that he was playing Stephen Hendry who was just untouchable and the biggest star in the game at the time. So I'd like to see that again. It would be fantastic if Alan was to win it. And I think he's absolutely capable. Um, he's due doing something in the championship, isn't he? Because he's been in one semi-final. Which yeah, you think 10 years some, ago yeah, as well. something like him. Yeah. And also... He, he like as he proved because he beat Ronnie on the way to win the Masters. He's one of those players who actually he he might obviously the occasion would be huge, but he wouldn't be intimidated by O'Sullivan. I don't think. No, I do like the idea of the Trump Wilson final though as well. I mean, just completely off the top of my head, it's been a while since we've had two 
under 30s yeah. playing each other in the final. So it could be sort of the start of a, a new era. And you mentioned Henry and White. It's not inconceivable that Trump and Wilson could develop into mm. some sort of similar crucible rivalry over the years. So that, that was a good shout as well. From a game global growth perspective. Can I just say before you, you know Stephen Andrews retired, don't you? Yes. <laughs> no, I'd love to see Stephen Andrews fan. Everybody knows I'm a massive. He's going to win the World Seniors and get in through yeah, the yeah, qualifiers. Well, everybody yeah. knows I'm a massive yeah. Stephen Andrews fan. Okay, yeah, I admit it. Yeah, yeah. Please take uh, 27 other counts into consideration, Your Honour. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but I think from a global growth perspective, for me, the best winner would be Ding. It always is. If he were to win the World Championship, it would be revolutionary, I think, for the game in terms of uh, the expansion of the circuit. I think Luca Brasil would be a good player to go uh, deep into the tournament. Anyone from continental Europe uh, would really uh, improve the interest over there. And let's face it, it's considerable already, thanks to, to Eurosport. I think for me, it would be the ideal final would be Ronnie O'Sullivan because he's the best and, as they say in America, he moves the needle. So Ronnie O'Sullivan against Ding Jinwei, maybe with Ding winning. Other than that, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Judd Trump, because that, in the UK, would be an absolute ratings blockbuster. We'd all be finished by nine o'clock on the Monday night. I think that what, what we'd all agree is you do need a close final, you know, and, we, and they have been, in, re, in recent times, have been relatively close. There's nothing worse than going into a final, and we've had a few of these over the years, mm. where basically you know who's going to win, you know they're going to win pretty easily, and it kind of, the, the drama isn't there. I mean, the whole, not just the tournament that builds to the final, the whole season does. And you want, it to, you want to see it out in style, as we did last year with probably the best ever final. Yeah. The one purpose of runaways, though, is that it makes you appreciate the tight ones. Mm. If every final was tight, you'd become blasé about Maybe, it. Yeah. You know, runaways make you appreciate just how good a, a really tight final can be. And to me, I have to say this, this has nothing to do with the actual point we're talking about here, but this year's final, if it repeats last year's, that's what I really want because for me, in terms of combining quality and drama and a great storyline, it's the best world final ever. Yeah, and that includes '85. But but yeah. that's why I think that's almost too much to hope for, Phil, mm. because it was just. I think over time it's almost you know become even bigger in, in our minds. Um, at the time, on the night I came out of the arena and you said best world final ever, and I agreed with you. But I wondered would we you know see it differently six months down the line? I'm even more certain than ever that it was the best world final and, and certainly the best final session of a world final. It didn't quite go the distance. It looked like it might. Would you one of those? It's 17 years now since we yeah. had a final frame in the final. I guess that's true. We've, there's been three deciders, but there's also been three finished with a session to spare. So yeah. you could argue, would you one of those? I mean, I don't know. I hope well, not. Maybe we are. I hope not, yeah. because it seems unlikely in this day and age that you would get like a really one-sided final. I was just, just about to say, I mean, certainly in terms of drama, it wasn't as good as 85. Okay. Oh no, nothing. But be, no. but the quality was so far ahead of the '85 final. So the two things combined, for me, it was an absolute classic. And I think, you know, the fact you got two fantastic players, two of the all-time greats, two old warriors going head to head. Everything about it mm. was just perfect. There wasn't that one moment of big drama that you had in '85. But I'll tell you, those clearances John made on yeah. the final yeah. night. Yeah. I mean, he had three or four amazing periods of yeah. about five or ten minutes of the most incredible drama yeah. because. The thing was, he needed to win every frame you know, that he made those clearances in because he had started the night so far behind, he couldn't afford to fall any further back. And what, what a performance. I mean, nobody has ever or probably will ever play better in the final mm. session of a world final and not finish the night with the trophy. Mm. Well, why don't we just end with a sort of um, rash tip each on who's going to win the tournament. I mean, you can make a case for, for a lot of these guys. Obviously, there's tournaments to come. I'm not personally convi that convinced that form during the season 
is that big an indicator of what happens with the World Championship? We've seen players go, they ding when he won five tournaments, mm. fell flat. Trump a couple of years ago against Rory McLeod. But obviously last year Mark Williams was one of the form players of the season and he won it. So let's just go around and just one name, we don't want a long list. So, Michael, you start. Yeah, I think I mentioned Wilson on the the previous time we were yeah. talking about this. You said something the other day though, Phil, and I think you're absolutely right. I think he doesn't quite play well enough yet to sustain it to win the World Championship. So I wouldn't rule him out. But the man I'm going to go for, for a slightly left field reason, is Neil Robertson. Mm. And it's because um, he's having another child in a few days' time, which is fantastic. That, of course, will be a distraction. I think that might be just what he needs. Because I think in recent years, he's yeah. gone to the World Championship and almost been too zoned in and too focused. And he'll make sure he's properly prepared. He's had a fantastic season as well. Just having that little bit of a distraction and something else to think about that he can switch off a bit from snooker in between sessions might just be what tips it for him. Nine years on since he won his first World Championship, he's not going to have that many years left mm. to become a multiple World Champion. And he's certainly good enough to be in that bracket. So yeah. I'll go for him. As we sit here, in fact, it's a few weeks away still. We still don't know um, who's going to be in which half of the draw. And obviously, every year, one half is tougher than the other. It always is. So you can't really you know, predict with any certainty. But I like uh, Michael's idea about Neil Robertson. I think he's a, a fine break builder. Uh, but, you know, let's, let's not beat about the bush. The two people you would think have to be regarded as favourites, purely and simply on the way they've played this season, Trump and O'Sullivan. Okay, that's two names, but anyway, well, I'll, well, I'll take one of them. I, I mean, I, I think I basically tip Trump every year because you see him play throughout the season, and I see him a lot, obviously, commentating. And you just think, surely he's going to be world champion. He's just so good. I think there is something different about him this year. That single-mindedness. I think that he believes he can win it. Maybe not in previous years. Maybe he hasn't. And yeah, I mean, like you said earlier, it's a great chance this year. He's got the confidence. He's got the form. He's got the game. He's got, and also other people don't want to play him. I think he's where Selby was five years ago. He's won the UK, he's won the Masters, he's won lots of tournaments. He's improving as a player all the time, but he doesn't have that world title. And exactly like you said about Judd, you felt back then, surely Selby is going to win a world mm. championship eventually. He'd done well in you know, many world championships, as Trump has. Judd is at that similar sort of age now as well as, as Mark was. He's not quite as old uh, when he first won it. So he's in a very similar situation to where Trump was, uh, to, sorry, to where Selby was back in 2014. So absolutely everything is, is pointing to this mm. being his biggest mm. chance. I'm a massive Trump fan, but no one... Judd Trump, that is. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The other yeah. one as well. Make snooker great again. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I'm a massive Trump fan, but I will say this. Heed these words. No one is guaranteed to win no. a world championship. Just remember mm. the very sad case of Jimmy White. Well, who deserved to, and he never did. That's the one thing that counts against him is he's never won it. So you know we don't know yet if he can. And that's a final final point. I would say is also don't count out Mark Williams. You know he's obviously he's not had a great season, but that's because he hasn't kind of dedicated himself. He will for the world championship. He's been talking about that first day. He's taking his kids there. He's going to walk out as champion. If he can survive the first day, and there's no guarantee he will, but if he can, you know that top of the draw is usually obviously quite beneficial. Don't don't count him out again. The key thing for him, if he can get a few results in these two yeah. tournaments that are coming up before Sheffield, that makes him very dangerous yeah. going into it. Because I do think the lack of match sharpness is the one thing that'll count against him. He will put in the hours coming up to mm. the Crucible, no question about it. So he needs just to get a few matches and a few results under his belt, and then he'll be, you know, a real serious contender to win it again. We shall see. Thanks for listening. And the World Championship is, well, about a month away. Sports Social Podcast Network.